So good morning, Eastside family. I think you can hear me quite well. Hey, so we're going to let our kids go to junior worship ages four through third grade as they are going. And if you're new here with children, just work your way in that direction. You can follow Alexander, who's running out right now. Um, want to mention to you a very important aspect of our worship assembly, and that is our worship offering. Obviously, we're not passing plates, and we have four ways we offer, uh, make possible for you to bring your offering. You can mail a check to our church address. You can give an automatic draft uh, through your bank. That's quite easy to do. You can go to our website. You can click on the f- homepage there. There's a word that says, I think, give. Just follow that. Or you can, if you're here with us in person, you can drop off your contribution right there in the basket on the way out. If you're not here with us in person, to those of you that are with us live streaming, you are with us. You're not just like watching. We're so glad to have you with us. And we would love to know that you're with us because sometimes I'm like, well, I haven't seen this person in a while. I haven't seen this person in a while. So we would be absolutely delighted if you'd let us know. Send us a text message or email to me or Matt or one of the shepherds or one of the staff members here uh, to let us know that you're here. We'd love to know that and just be encouraged by that. Hey, let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And I want to start out this morning kind of kind of fixing a problem, I guess you might call it. I, I, I think I came close to getting fired last week after a, a huge number of you responded to my misuse of a word as I was up here with the children and I led them astray reading to them the story of the Good Samaritan and I used the word bobo instead of boo-boo, which evidently is the majority opinion for that word. So I just kind of wanted to correct that real quickly and show you here. And let's go to the next slide, Christy. In Luke chapter 10, as the Good Samaritan stopped and he bandaged the wounds of these... um, of this man, the Greek word, if you look down below for wounds, is bobo. So... I'm just trying to be accurate to the Greek language. Obviously, you guys are not very educated (laughs) in Greek. Or maybe I just put that word in there for a little bit of fun. Actually, go to the next word. The word for wounds is traumata, from which the root word is trauma, from which we get the word trauma. That's just a little interesting tidbit. So let's go to prayer, get our minds focused here, and we'll get into our text once again. Father, we turn again to this very well-known parable. We ask that as it is read, Father, that you would take your living word and penetrate it deeply into our lives and further transform us into the people that you desire for us to be, that as you have loved us, we too may love others. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 10, verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man. He passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his bobos, poor <laughs> wounds, just speaking Greek, sorry, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, 
He took out two denarii, we would say two silver coins, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so we recently, as I've mentioned to you in three lessons prior to this, have celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's a national holiday. Sadly, racism continues to be an unending controversy that is dividing our nation. And it just seems to be unstoppable. Now that I'm past the age of 60, I, I read the paper every day. Actually, I've been doing that for years. And you cannot read the paper without just being bombarded of the stories of racism in our nation. I have just a few articles to share with you that are just from Sunday to Tuesday alone while I was making these slides. In this week's local paper, there was the editorial that, 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 that had the title, Let Black History Month Heal Our Nation, implying or indicating the reality that our nation needs healing. And I think in that same edition, there was a story of, in Georgia of this, of this young man, Armand Arbery. Again and again and again, we're reading stories about his story that shows an incredible need for healing in our nation. There was an article this week of a federal court case that's pending now in, in Denver a, a, of a lawsuit of a, of a corrections department officer, a former officer who's suing the state of Colorado because of mistreatment and because of wrongdoing of him. He believes as a white person in what they have is this diversity, equity, and inclusion training. This week I read of the Douglas County, which is a county north uh, school superintendent, that he was told you either need to resign or you're going to be fired. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you noticed, but a lot, of, a lot of teachers just didn't show up to school. But they wanted him to quit or to be fired because there was this disagreement over the district's equity policy and fears that it would, that it would lead to bringing the critical race theory into the, the curriculum of the schools. Or maybe you heard this week the announcement of the, or is it last week, a couple weeks ago, of a, a retired, uh, one of our Supreme Court justices is going to retire. And so our president has decided he's going to fill that vacancy with, with an African-American woman. And there are people that are outraged by that because they feel as though that's contradictory to Martin Luther King Jr.'s policy or, 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 or principles of not judging a person by color but by the character of their, and the content of their character. And then probably one of the most shocking things that came up to many people was this sign that, that was up in Denver just, uh, just in December of this past year offering a family, families of color playground night which is offered now once a month. And for some that saw this, some of you that are older, it brought back some horrible painful memories of blatant signs of discriminations due to color such as where you could swim or not swim related to water fountains and buses and waiting rooms can you imagine that and I think this, this use of the term colored is interesting 
I had a neighbor in Baton Rouge, an older neighbor, who spoke to me about the colored man who cuts his grass. And I thought to myself, I wanted to ask him, what color is he? I love this poem that was written by a young African-American boy. His name is Agra Gra, and the poem goes something like this. When I was born, I was black. When I grow up, I'm black. When I go in the sun, I'm black. When I'm scared, I'm black. When I'm sick, I'm black. And when I die, I'm still black. And you white fellows, when you're born, you're pink. And when you grow up, you're white. When you go in the sun, you're red. And when you're cold, you're blue. And when you're scared, you're yellow. When you're sick, you're green. When you die, you're gray. And you call me colored that poem makes you think about the words that we use and it makes you think about the impact our words have on others Ibram X. Kendi, he's the author of, of a, of a best-selling book called How to Be an Anti-Racist. He has gained an incredibly huge following here in America. He's been very influential in this discussion on racism. And he writes in his book, he says, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist. Now listen to these words. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. Is that the answer? Fighting racism with racism or another version of this. And you're seeing all of this and you're just kind of wondering, has Dr. King's dream somewhere along the way become lost as he spoke of color in the dream of a nation where his four little children we know these words well will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character where has that dream gone to has it become lost but there's a there's a more important question that we need to be asking is that has God's dream in all of this become lost? Have the truths of God become lost? The truth that we see in this passage that we are called as His people to love God and love others. Which is actually the truth that sets the stage for this powerful parable of the Good Samaritan. And as I've mentioned to you before, typically we think of the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's driving us to the conclusion we're supposed to stop and help people along the way who are in need. And indeed, that is a good point. But actually, the parable of the Good Samaritan speaks powerfully into racial animosity as it is speaking into a a religious good, good, Bible-believing, church-going man who held within his heart racial animosity. And so Jesus is speaking to this man. And I, I see three truths here that I have entitled Jesus' critical race theory. Last week we covered the first one that took the whole time and that the first principle that we notice in this parable is that Jesus was telling this man love unconditionally regardless of who it is, regardless of what they've done even to you and regardless of what it takes. 
So I want to cover the two other truths in this parable. And honestly, you're going to walk away from here going, he just didn't talk about this, 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 and this. I'm leaving out a whole lot. There's just not enough time for it all. I'm giving this passage to you and your life groups to unpack further. The second truth I hear Jesus speaking by this parable, which addresses this man's racial animosity, are these words, don't judge a book by its cover. Now, another way that you could say that, is, as Dr. King stated, don't judge people by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And you would think, do we really have to still be saying this? Is that not just incredibly obvious? Evidently not, because anti-racist movements today are advocating just the opposite. Now, another way you might say, don't judge, a book by a care, by, by, don't judge a book by its cover, is don't carry prejudice. That's a word we use. Don't carry prejudice in your heart and in your behavior towards others. So let's just define that term. Prejudice, and I'm sure we could all come up with different terms. So I just went through the dictionary. We're going to go with this one for this lesson. Prejudice means prejudging. Preconce- a preconceived opinion about someone that's not, now listen, it's not based on reason or actual experience, but it's based on you see someone and you make a decision because of their ethnicity, their race, their social status, their color, or their religion. And that was this guy in this story. This religious lawyer in his heart carried prejudice. He carried a negative preconceived opinion about a person he didn't even know. But he'd made a conclusion about him because of his race as a Samaritan. And so Jesus corrects this. Jesus confronts this in this man by showing him that this person whom he hated, this person whom he avoided, this person with whom he would have no contact, he would not speak to him, he would not worship with him, he would not let him into his church building, the temple. It's not simply he would make him sit in the back. He would not be allowed to be inside his building at all. This person of whom he knew could do no good, this is the protagonist in the story. This is the one who does good. Jesus is making the point with using this Samaritan in the story, don't judge a book by its cover. But he wasn't just doing that with the use of the Samaritan. I believe he was also doing it by the use of the priest and the Levite who walked away. He says, you see that priest and the Levite? You may look at them as you may look at yourself in the mirror. And I think Jesus is trying to help this guy see himself. You may, you may look at them and you may see the way they dress. You may see their religious beliefs. You may see their, their titles. You may see their race. You may hear their accent. And you may conclude that they are fine, upstanding people, even though you've never met them. But notice, they are not fine, upstanding people. And the irony is, Jesus is saying to this man, that this one whom you believe is inferior is far better even than you are. It's a painful truth because we're Bible-believing church-going people here. But it's a painful truth that we learn from this story that you can be a Bible-believing, church-going person and still hold racial animosity in your heart, not really loving God because you're not loving others unconditionally and therefore you're so incredibly far from eternal life. That's what Jesus is driving home into this man's heart. Some of the worst forms of racism are masked behind religion. 
and justified by religion. I remember as a little boy in a fine, dignified church in Middle Tennessee filled with fine, dignified, well-dressed Christians. And one of those fine, dignified elderly members of the church always there Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights well-dressed, stood at the entrance door of the auditorium as a black man pastor on his way in and she said to the person next to her, what is he doing here? I have heard critical, hateful, and unkind things said about members of this church simply because of their race and their political opinions. But it's interesting, those people who were criticized in that way, I've witnessed them in our community, feeding and caring for and praying with and holding hands with people of other races, people of of different sexual preferences, people of other ethnicities. And what's interesting is these people that criticize them, they don't really know them. And Jesus says, don't judge a book by its cover. And ironically, those who often make such accusations against others they're the ones you don't see in the community caring for others in the same way. It is wrong. It is horrible. And it is sinful to judge and make assertions about someone simply because of their race. It is wrong. It is horrible. It is sinful to judge and make assertions about someone just because they're an African American. Am I even having to say that? But it happens. In this Gazette, this article I read of Armand Arbery, one of his attackers admitted the fact that the reason with his gun that he pursued this young man was because of his color. It is wrong, it is horrible, and it is sinful to make assertions about me simply because I am a white American male and that because of my color and race that I am a racist oppressor. And it's even a greater wrong to suggest that this should be taught to our children in our schools, but this as well is happening. It is wrong. It is horrible. It is sinful to judge a whole race of people based upon the despicable behavior of a few in a particular race. Don't judge Jesus' tale in this man. He's telling us, don't judge a book by its cover, but judge a person by the character of their heart as someone who loves God, and this love is seen and displayed through their love unconditionally. For others. Now, one of the questions, one of the questions that, that comes up in this discussion, well, do you think maybe we should just be colorblind? That's a big controversy. We'll be, be colorblind. And I would just say to that, of course, there are differences with races. There are differences with genders. Our culture is trying to say there aren't. There are differences with races and genders and nationalities. We shouldn't pretend that these don't exist. There are treasured things that are associated with other ethnicities and nationalities and other races. There are things that are unique to them that all of us can learn from 
we can benefit from. And I think we can do that as we educate ourselves this month in Black History Month. So in that sense, no, don't be colorblind. Respect and honor that and listen and learn. But on the other side, indeed, we should be colorblind in any ways that these differences divide us and become barriers for loving each other. Jesus says to this man, he's saying to us, don't judge a book by its cover. But thirdly, I hear Jesus saying to this religious lawyer these simple words, live what you say you believe. And we saw this in in an earlier lesson, I didn't read it in the text this morning in verse 27, that, that this religious lawyer, I mean, he knew the Bible well and he responded, he quoted scripture, he quoted the Shema, he quoted the scripture, two scriptures in Deuteronomy and one in Leviticus about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you got it, man. But then Jesus went on to add these words in verse 28 do this and you will live verse 37 he repeats it so when he repeats something you think he's trying to make a point go and do likewise the implication being you may know how to read it and say it and sing it well but are you doing it live what you say you believe it's one thing to know and say what is right it's another thing to do what is right to all people and I think this was because we're still playing off of Dr. King's celebration of of the national holiday this was a powerful point he very wisely was bringing home in, in in the civil rights movement he believed that Americans weren't living by what they say they believed and I think he was right Our woke movement today, it sees America as the problem, the need to crush this nation. But Dr. King spoke of the magnificent, I quote, the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Dependence. And in his famous speech, he stated these words, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out. Those are Jesus' words to this man. Just live what you believe. We'll live out the meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. King's problems was not with the ideals of America, but it was a failure of Americans to live by these ideals, by their discriminatory laws and their racial behavior. We see this sadly in in the lives of some of our founding fathers, they indeed proclaimed that all men are equal. But some of them were slave owners. <laughs> what is that? Jesus says, Live what you say you believe. Our president who signed into the law the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and this is a powerful document defending the rights of all people regardless of race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. He stood behind this. He signed it, but was notorious for using the N-word in the White House, and even many members of his own party filibustered against the passing of this law. It's one thing to have a party platform. It's one thing to give a signature to a needed law to combat racism, but it's another thing to live by it daily, by your words and by your actions. And that applies to all sides of whatever aisles there may be. 
It's one thing by virtue signaling to make bold proclamations, and we see this, don't we? Bold proclamations about what is right and wrong, but it's another thing to live it, to live what you say you believe are Jesus' words to this man. I heard someone recently say racism isn't just the presence of hatred, it's the absence of love. And I would add to that, it's the absence of true love and true action. And you see this, this same struggle of living out what you believe in the Bible story. Our problem with the Bible story isn't the truths and the principles of the Bible. It's the people in the story. Even the heroes of the story who just could not live up to its principles. That's why Jesus came and died for our sins. And so this is the same truth for our Bible character who is in conversation with Jesus at this time. And Jesus is saying to him by this parable, live what you say you believe. And I just wonder, what would our church be like? Think about this. What would your life be like? What would your family be like? What would our impact in the community and the world be like if we really lived what we say we believe? These are Jesus' words to this man in this parable. Live what you say you believe. Do you? Don't judge a book by its cover. Do you? Love unconditionally. Do you? And I think it's really interesting how this story ends. It ends in two ways that are quite fascinating. So Jesus finishes the parable, and he says to the man at the end of the parable, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And notice his answer in verse 37. The expert in the law replied, well, it was the one who had mercy on him. But did you notice what he didn't say? He didn't say it was the Samaritan. It was like, as a Jewish man, he just couldn't bring himself to say that the good guy was a Samaritan. This, is, this struggle is real for this guy. Still, at the end of the story, it is for us. And then there's a second way that this story uh, ends. It's interesting. It, it, it's open-ended. Jesus says to this man as, as, as the story closes, go and do likewise, but we don't know what he did. We don't know how it turned out for this guy. And so I guess you could say that it's left open-ended for us, and it's left open-ended for you. In whatever way, and let's be honest, all right? I'll let the Holy Spirit help you be honest. In whatever way this struggle is real for you, when you go today, the question of personal and practical application isn't what do you say and what do you believe? But what will you do? What will you do? Dr. King had a, had a beautiful dream, which we recently celebrated with a national holiday, and we spent four Sundays letting God's Word speak into that dream. But long before Dr. King's dream, God revealed a dream for his people, for his kingdom. He revealed it through the apostle John in the book of Revelation chapter 7. A dream that should drive us. A dream that should motivate us. A, 
a dream that we should live to fulfill in, in our daily lives. And this is the fulfillment of God's kingdom. And of this dream, John writes, after this I looked and there before me. You've got to see this. God's wanting us to see the vision. I saw a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Do you see that vision and that dream of one new humanity, of people of all ethnicities and colors and races and nations standing side by side and proclaiming together, free at last, free at last, Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Oh, church, may we live and may we speak to see that dream realized of God's kingdom here on this earth. May we as followers of Jesus work towards that dream by our words and our deeds and the attitudes of our hearts. Let's stand and pray. Father, we just move this religious lawyer out of the way and put ourselves in front of you and let us receive with our eyes and our ears these words and may they travel into our hearts. Because God, the truth is, while we can, we can do somewhat of a control of our actions and our words we can't change our hearts only you can do that so holy spirit take these words penetrate them deeply into our hearts and transform us and shape us into the people your kingdom people that you have called us to be that we can witness and experience even now while living on this earth the realization the fulfillment of this dream and Holy Spirit, in this quiet moment of prayer, I ask that you would take these words that we have heard from you in Scripture and help us to see how they apply to our lives personally and practically. Help us to see what you're calling us to do in our lives. As we go into this song that the praise team is going to lead us in, our shepherds are here to, to pray with you. If, if you're with us by live stream, I would encourage you to send an email to elders at eastsidesprings.com with your prayer request and have them call you. If you know someone here that needs um, a hug, a word of encouragement, or a prayer, go to them. And if you are that person, reach out to someone as we turn to God now in prayer. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.